Yes, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you. You alone deserve our praise and adoration, God. You've lifted us from the lowest places, God, and set us in a place as your children. So, God, we come to you and we just thank you and we praise you and we glorify your name. And we pray, God, that you capture our hearts by your word this morning. God, that you open our minds and our hearts, God, to deeply fall in love with you. And God, to help us to spur our hearts, Lord, to desire to grow to be like you. So we thank you for that, Lord. And we, we look to you in faith, God, to do that in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So as Pastor Ron mentioned, today we're going to talk about um, spiritual growth. And if I can be uh, totally honest with you, uh, this can be an area of my life that I can experience some frustration with. Um, I have regular spiritual habits that are a part of my life. Uh, I have incredible, incredible times and encounters with God that are meaningful and powerful. And yet I still wish that I was making more progress in this area, that spiritual growth was stronger. You know, I know that spiritual things are important and I need to give them priority, but it just seems like I get tangled up with everyday life things. You know, uh, I can't tell you how many times God has been there for me in a difficult, dire situation. And yet I still continue over and over again just to fret and to worry. And it seems like no matter how many times I felt the painful sting of bad decisions, I just keep making them, you know? Uh, I have these character flaws that have been with me for a long time, and I just wish that I could conquer them, and it just seems like I can't. You know what all this reminds me of? Golf. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, golf. You know, there are moments when I play golf that I just hit something, I'm it's like, wow, you know, I could go pro with this thing. I am so awesome. <laughs> and then most of the time, it's just an exercise in frustration, you know. Um, you've heard of Tiger Woods. Well, my golf name is Inda Woods. <laughs> At the end of my golf game, I've got so much sand in my shoes, it's like I've trekked through the Mojave Desert. It's horrible. But I can brag about this. You know, my best golf score is three over. Three over, yeah. One over a house, one over... <laughs> <laughs> one over a patio and one over a golf cart. Scared those little old ladies half to death. It was horrible. It was terrible. But to be honest, you know, my spiritual life can oftentimes be like my golf game. You know, moments of just wonder and amazement. And then a lot of times just shaking my head in frustration. It just seems like after all of these years of being a Christian, you know, I ought to have the spiritual maturity of like Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, you know. But most of the time, I find myself looking more like this fellow right here. a lot of us, you know, need a little help getting out of the high chair. You know, we want to mature. We want to grow in our spiritual growth. We tend to get stuck sometimes, and, and it just feels like we don't move forward. And so how do we grow spiritually, you know? Is it just a matter of praying more and reading your Bible more, you know? 
We've, just, we've had pureed bananas for long enough, and we want to know what the next step is. We wonder if this really is all that there is. But the good news is this, and that's that God has a plan. God has a plan, and not only is he interested in our spiritual growth, but he's also very invested in it, very invested. He's ready and able to help us to become the people that he's called us to be. 2 Peter 1.3 tells us this, By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all of this by, becoming to, by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. See, God gives us everything that we need, and he's committed to making that happen. Philippians 1.6 says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Isn't that awesome? That's great news. But then we ask ourselves, well, what am I supposed to do? You know, I just sit back and wait for this to happen? Well, I think we know that's not what we do, that we need to engage with God, and we also need to engage with others to begin to grow spiritually. So we're going to take a look at that and what's involved with that. So why don't you take in your program there, take out your message notes. If you have a Bible, you can open that up and be ready. And let's start in and, and talk about how, you know, what do I need in order to grow? So the first point in your outline there is this. I need vision. I need a vision. I need to focus on the goal of growth. I think we recognize that if uh, we want to accomplish something significant, we want to grow, it's important that we have a clear vision of what our target is. I don't know if you heard about this, but back in the 2004 Olympic Games, there was a a, a rifleman, a shooter that was involved and uh, not shooting people, but in the games. (laughs) His name was Matt Emmons. And he had just one bullet left. He was doing really well in order to win his second consecutive gold medal in riflery. And so Matt took his gun, he aimed at the target, and boom, he got a bullseye. The problem was he shot at the wrong target (laughs) and dashed his Olympic dreams and ended up coming in eighth place. Bummer. (laughs) Now, we can end up shooting at the wrong target also when we think that spiritual growth is is about, you know, working harder and doing more and trying to please God or filling our head with spiritual knowledge. And we get the wrong target. So what is the right target for spiritual growth? Well, Colossians 3.17 says this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks through him to God the Father. See, the simple, most basic vision of what it means is to do everything in words and our actions to be like Jesus, to be consistent with who he is and what he does. And so the aim of our spiritual growth is becoming more like Jesus, becoming more like Jesus. It makes a whole lot of difference when we have the right target. Romans 8.29 tells us that God chose us to become like his son. And 1 John 2, 6 says that we should live our life as Jesus did. The Apostle Paul described Jesus as the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the whole uh, point, the source, and the ultimate goal of what it means to be in him. And our key verse, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 again. And now, just as, I, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down deep into him and let your lives be built on him. 
Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught, and you'll overflow with thankfulness. Do you hear that? I mean, he's describing, he's saying, follow Jesus. You know, when you cross the line, don't quit. Follow him. Dig those roots into him. Build your life on him. He's not talking about just a religious practice. He's talking about an encounter, a deep, meaningful, personal relationship that fires our heart with a desire to have greater devotion and deeper purity and humble obedience. And if we're focused just on the duties of being a good Christian, you know, that just dries us up. It's what Paul describes as the law that takes, it just leads us to, 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 to death. But when we focus on Jesus, our heart drives us with a desire to be like him. So second, I need intention. I need intention. I must intend to grow. We need to, to decide, make a decision to grow and invest in this relationship. Uh, John Maxwell, he's a former pastor. He's also a Christian leadership consultant. And he said this, and I love this. We are either the masters or the victims of our attitudes. It's a matter of personal choice. Who we are today is the result of choices we made yesterday. Think about that. (laughs) Tomorrow will become what we choose today. To change means to choose to change. See, my guess is, is that in whatever area of life where you've had significant growth or made progress, you, it had to do with intentionality. You, you made choices. You prioritized it. You put it into your calendar. The Apostle Paul was passionate about his pursuit of becoming like Jesus. And I love how he describes it. It's like a pep talk to us. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, he says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. I'm not just saddle boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. That just makes you want to get out there and run, right? See, God is deeply committed to our spiritual growth. And we ought to match that level of commitment as well. Because it's when we work together with God and we do our part and he does his part, that amazing things start to happen in our spiritual lives. This is exemplified in in Philippians 2, uh, 12 and 13, talking about that dual work together. It says this, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important, Paul's saying. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. That's our part, right? Now listen to this. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's God's part. See, if we engage with God in the process, it says he gives us the desire and the power to do it. And he produces the result. But we have to engage, right? It's like the four birds that were on a tree branch, you know. One of them decided to fly away. So how many birds were left on the branch? Yeah, you're thinking three, right? No, four. (laughs) Because you can decide all you want. It's until you actually fly off the branch that you actually are gone, right? And we can decide to grow spiritually, but until we actually take action and do it, nothing really ever happens. So we need to have a plan. And we need to put that plan into our schedule. And then we need to surround ourselves with others that'll help us along that journey and engage with us and go too. 
So I don't know if you noticed this, but all of the verses that we'll talk about today, when we talk about spiritual growth, it, it, it talks about doing that in community. It's kind of like what we talked about last month when I was sharing with you about how God designed us so that we grow one another. So it's important that we engage. And when we engage with God and we engage with one another and we're together, that's when our spiritual lives really begin to blossom. So next, let's look at a plan. And that's that we need means. We need a means to do it. I must train if I'm going to grow. See, um, to be like Jesus, we got to train to be like him. This doesn't happen automatically. I don't know about you, but for me, it just doesn't always come natural. You know, Jesus, he would be walking into a room and he just sort of noticed the people that were hurting and that needed him. He'd draw them and he'd get on his knees and he'd help them and, and do what he could to minister to their needs. Or he'd be walking somewhere and his heart just seemed to move him to the people that needed help. And he'd stop and he'd minister to them. You know, when I'm walking through Kmart, <laughs> I am on a hunting expedition. I mean, seriously, I know exactly what I want. And I get in there and I hunt it down. I grab it, I bag it, and I'm out of there. You know, I hardly even notice that there's people in there. So I need to really train more and more to be like Jesus is. Paul encourages us this in 1 Timothy 4, 7 and 8. He says, train yourselves to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Promising benefits in this life and the life to come. And you know what the most effective way to train yourself to be like Jesus is? Well, it's to engage with God in his word. Yes, I said, read your Bible. (laughs) But I said something different. I also said that we need to engage with God in that process. 1 Peter 2.2 tells us that we're to crave the spiritual milk of the word that will grow in our salvation. You know, what if we started looking at um, our Bibles as more of a training manual, right? And that as we read it, we're listening for God's voice. And then when we hear that, we just go and do what it says. Like a training manual. Say you are looking through and you're reading something and you read something about patience and you hear God say... You know what, my friend? You need more patience. Then you get up out of your seat, you go find Pastor Bobby, and you volunteer in the preschool classroom. (laughs) (laughs) Or you go find Pastor Chase, and you say, I want to work with junior hires, you know, because you will learn patience, I'm telling you, because your patience will be tested, (laughs) and you will rely on God just to survive, and that's probably a good thing, you know? Because in many ways, we're like rubber bands, you know? We need to be stretched in order to be effective. And there's nothing that will catapult your life and your spiritual growth more than engaging with God in his word. Not for knowledge, but for instruction. And that's why we train and how we train. James 1.22, remember this, it's James tells us, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of it so that we don't deceive ourselves, you see? All right. So we've got vision, we've got intention, and we've got means. There's just a couple more keys that I want to share with you. And these are a few things that uh, I've been working on with a team of very awesome people that are helping me um, put together a spiritual growth plan for our church. A lot of this comes from the Reveal study that came out of Willow Creek Church a couple years ago. And so here's the first one, and that's this, that I evaluate my spiritual maturity. I evaluate my spiritual maturity. 
And we see the word evaluation, and all of a sudden we're like in school where we could all uptight, um, you know, pass or fail. But here, it's not a test of how good or bad we are. It's not whether God likes you more or less. Because you see, when you receive Christ, you're totally forgiven, you're loved, and you are his child. Nothing changes that. But the reason that we evaluate our spiritual growth is because we need to know where we are so we know what next steps to take, you know? We don't take a kindergartner and stick him in a calculus class. We don't do that. You see, there are steps to learning that help us get ready for higher math. And in the same way, there are spiritual pathways that help us grow to be more like Jesus. The Apostle John is helpful in helping us to show that progression. So let's look at this verse or set of verses in 1 John 2, 12 to 14. I want to point a couple things out for you. It says, I'm writing to you who are God's children because your sins have been forgiven through Jesus. I'm writing to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I'm writing to you who are young in the faith because you have won your battle with the evil one. And I've written to you who are God's children because you know the Father. I've written to you who are mature in the faith because you know Christ who existed from the beginning. I've written to you who are young in the faith because you're strong. God's word lives in your hearts and you have won your battle with the evil one. Can you see the different levels? I I asked um, Deborah to even kind of put those in different colors. And so we see up here these different folks. We've got God's children. We've got folks that are mature in the faith. And we've got folks that are young in the faith. One of the things I think can help us is is this graphic. I want to have them pull this up real quick. And this shows a little bit of the progression of our spiritual life. Oh, that's tiny. Hopefully you can read that. (laughs) All right. On the left side, you'll see those who are resistant to Christ. Okay. These are folks who uh, resist or even um, are opposed to Christ and Christianity. And a lot of times what happens is maybe they had a disappointment or some kind of a sting from that they felt either from God or from a Christian at some point in time. That pain drives their resistance. Next, we have those that are open to Christ. And these are people that, are, that would tell you, you know, I think it's great that you're into Jesus. I'm all good with that, but it's just not for me, right? We've met folks like that. And then we have those that are exploring Christ. And these are folks that are looking for God. They're, they're looking for spiritual answers and, and maybe even investigating the claims of Christ. And then we have folks that have crossed the bridge of faith. And then we have these categories, these three spiritual levels of people that have come to know Jesus. One, we have those that are beginning in Christ. These are what John referred to as little children. And they're folks that are new to the faith, okay? They're they're brand new, have little understanding of God and the Bible, but they're learning and growing. These can also be folks that maybe have known Jesus for a really long time, but they've just never really grown much in their faith, okay? Kind of like my golf game, right? Then we have those that are growing in Christ, or what the Bible says, young, you know, like uh, think about a college student, young and strong. And these people are actively growing in their faith. They're engaged in spiritual practices. They're serving. They're using the gifts that God has given them. They're involved in community with other believers. They're growing. And then on the right, we have this level called abiding in Christ. John referred to those as those that are mature in faith. And these are folks that not only have a solid biblical foundation and practice, but they've moved beyond that to a place where they're surrendered and abiding in Jesus. What they believe has gone from their head into their heart. It's gone from their creed into their character. And one of the things I really love about our church 
is that I honestly believe that we have people in this room right now that are all over the map on here, every portion and part of it. And everyone belongs. And we're all on this journey together. Now, I'm talking specifically about spiritual growth, and so we're going to talk about the folks to the right of the cross. But I want you to know, if you're still checking things out, I really think that there are things that you can get out of this and learn from it as well. And I'm so glad that you're here to investigate the journey. So let's talk a little bit about those who are beginning in Christ. John said that their sins are forgiven and that they know the Father. Okay, This represents the very starting part of our, of our faith. You know, trusting God, letting go of sin, embracing God's love and forgiveness. In this stage, you know, we're very dependent upon the church. This is a part where we, the church sort of f- feeds us and we begin to grow in Christ. The key word, and you can write this next to beginning in Christ right here, is relationship. Relationship. It's about establishing this relationship with God, establishing a relationship with God's people. So important to be exposed to God's word, to be exposed to God's people, to help us trust and build a foundation of trust in God. That's foundational to our faith and our spiritual growth. The second category are those who are growing in Christ. Those who are growing in Christ. Now, John described them as strong because God's word was in their heart and that they became victorious over the evil one. These are folks that are passionate about growing their faith. And they're investing in spiritual practices and taking responsibility for their walk and being close to Jesus. And so under this, you can write the word ownership. The mark of someone that's growing in Christ is they're taking ownership of their faith. They're committed to spiritual practices, being in community. They're not so dependent upon the church, and yet they're deeply connected to it. They're not asking to be fed, but they're feeding themselves and growing themselves and contributing to the life of the church. And they listen and talk to God all the time and they share their faith and they're growing. And then we have those that on the right are abiding in Christ. And this being the last level, you know, you'd expect that these folks, what they'd look like, or these are the people with, gosh, a lot of experience and a lot of Bible knowledge. You know, they just recite the Bible And and they do, you see them at the church, and they're just working hard all the time. But the primary characteristic, truly, of those who are abiding in Christ is the word surrender. You can write the word surrender there. And this actually is the smallest category, because let's face it, surrender, it takes everything that we are. And sometimes even more than that. Let's take a look at this video. says that we are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning and look in the mirror, I don't really see a a masterpiece, you know? I mean, maybe a Picasso. It's like, (laughs) but I want to be his masterpiece. I want to be everything he created me to be. And so I go to him in prayer and I say, dear heavenly father, do whatever it takes to mold me into the image of your son. Make me your masterpiece. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hi. Whoa. Who are you? I'm God. You said the prayer, so here I am. You're not God. No, I am. You said the prayer. That's how it works. Okay, okay. If you're God, then uh, make it snow in here. You know what? I really don't want to make it snow in here because it'd get kind of yucky. Yeah, you're not God. Why do you say that? God wouldn't say yucky. I do. It's a Greek word. Oh. 
Okay, okay. Um, if you're God, what does Lamentations 15.9 say? Lamentations is only five chapters. It's a very short book. Oh. Why was it so short? I was tired of lamenting. Oh. Okay, okay. If you're God, who's going to win the World Series this year? I'm really not into playing games. Why are you so much into playing games? You are God. Well, gave it away. You answered my question with a question. I did? <sighs> yeah, I do that. Don't I? I did it again. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. All right. Hey, what are we doing? I'm going to make you my original masterpiece. This is the process. Oh, okay. Got it. Yeah. Wait, wait. What are these about? These are the tools I'm going to use to make you into my original masterpiece. Okay. Hang on. Yeah. I thought you were a carpenter. That's my son. Step right up. Here we go. Okay. Oh, hey, God. Mm -hmm. How do you know what to chisel away and what to leave? I take out everything in your life that doesn't belong there, kind of like dead weight. Ooh, speaking of dead weight, could you chisel right here? It showed up when I was in my 20s and grew around and became back fat. I don't even know why you created that, but I can't get rid of it. I mean, I've tried everything. Like, I tried running, I tried lifting weights. My wife actually talked me into trying Pilates. That was awkward. But I can't get rid of it. So if you would just chisel around here, and then, you know what, if you chisel a line right here and maybe four to five, maybe eight lines right here, that would be awesome. <laughs> You're funny. You made me that way. I also made the platypus. The platypus? All I'm saying is most of my children, when it comes to this process, they just want to talk, but they don't want to do the work. So do you want to talk or can I chisel? Talk, chisel, No, talk, no, chisel. no, 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 no. I choose to chisel. All right. Through my Holy Spirit, I'm going to bring up things in your life that I want you to work on. Like your anger. Mm. I created the emotion, but you use it in the wrong way. Um... Compare yourself to others instead of me. You tell little white lies because you want to people please. You're lazy. But you try to fool everybody by looking really, really busy. You have a problem with lust? Well, time out. <laughs> I don't really have a problem with lust. You don't have a problem with lust. No, I can do it anytime I want. Hang on a second. I mean, I, I got to admit, I, I feel like you've been doing some great work, and I'm looking pretty good right now. All right, when you look in the mirror, who do you see? I see me. Okay, then I need to keep chiseling away, because ultimately, you and other people need to see my son. Okay, don't misunderstand me. It's just, um, when I look more like Jesus, people get uncomfortable around me. I mean, even my church friends, and they're like, oh, you're holier than thou, you know? And, and I, don't, I don't think I'm supposed to make people uncomfortable. So what you're saying is you'd rather play God in certain areas of your life than for me to be God over your whole life. That is not what I said. It's what you meant. Yes, it is. Um, it's hard to talk to you. You know everything that I'm thinking. I'm just saying you've done some great work. Maybe we take a break, a sabbatical from each other, you know? I'll stay right here, and then, you That's know... That's just it. You never just stay right there. You're either moving toward me or away from me, but never you just stay... What you're doing is called control. Do you want to control things in your life or can I chisel? Control, chisel, control, no, chisel. No, chisel, chisel. All right. But can we chisel where I want? That's called control. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, giving up control of our life, let's be honest, it seems like it's just nearly impossible. But for those who have invested deeply in a sincere and deep love and trust in Jesus Christ, it just seems like the natural next step for them. Having learned to surrender through horrendous, difficult life circumstances where they just had to give it all to God. Having invested deeply in the power of God's word to form a faith that overcomes all things.
They've come to know and love Jesus more than anything else. And every day is a new day in which to die to self and to live for him. Christ is everything to those who abide in Christ. And they're willing to give anything and risk everything to be a living example of Jesus in this world. And that's exactly what they do as they walk around and display the character of a Christ-centered life of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. And the world longs for Jesus-like people like this. Now, I don't know about you, but this is such a more inspiring vision to me of Christianity than grabbing my ticket to heaven and going along my way. There's one last thing I want to share with you that I think can help us, you know, move from one level of spirituality to another. And that's this, that I focus on catalysts to transform me to be more like Jesus. Spiritual catalysts are things that help us propel us forward to another level of spiritual growth. So here's another graphic I want you to see. You can see there are certain catalysts that move us. I think we recognize these things, even in our own personal life. You know, when I was a little kid, it was all about me. You know, I relied on my parents to help me with everything, to grow and to learn. When I became an adolescent, I became a little more independent, probably too much. <laughs> and, 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 but I learned to take care of some things about myself. And then when I got married, I had to really, really work hard at learning how to not just have my own way, but be able to compromise, still in that process. And then when I had kids, I really had to learn how to live sacrificially. And it wasn't about me anymore. And I'm hoping that as I mature in my life, that eventually I can leave a legacy that goes on past my life itself. Spiritual catalysts can be things like a special focus of study, or it can be classes or, or personal experiences or encounters with God. Spiritual disciplines are so helpful. Mentorships and discipleship, all of these things that help us engage. And the GROW team and I are working now on identifying what these are and then being able to deliver them to you. So this is kind of like going to you know, one of those movies where they say, come back another time. <laughs> you can see the next saga. But I really think there's a lot of things that we can work on even today. And that's one. I would encourage you to do this, to evaluate where you are spiritually. Take a sober look at it. And then look at the key word for that area. Say, you know, relationship. What can I do and invest in that will develop my relationship with God? If it's ownership, what can I be doing in my spiritual walk to take greater ownership of this and invest in it? And then surrender. (laughs) What can I do to surrender more of my life to Jesus? What experiences can I bring in my life? Then eventually, as you do this and do this in community, I encourage you to do that you would look at the next level and say, okay, let's go on to the next one and let's tackle that together. It'll help you move from being with Jesus to being more like him. And as we do this together, I really believe that there's just so much joy in the process. And then more than all of that, as we begin to look more and more like Jesus, that God is glorified, that God gets the glory and that his purposes are fulfilled in this world. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you. You are the giver of life. You are the source of all things. And we want, Lord, to be more and more like you. And so, God, we invite you to do that process in our life that we could find great joy, Lord, in knowing you, pursuing you, and becoming like you.
In Jesus' name, amen.